Well, thank you, Paul and Leslie. And uh, let's take our Bibles and let us turn to Ephesians once again, chapter 6. <clears throat> One thing is that we'll read this often enough over the next last several weeks and the next several weeks that you'll probably have this one pretty well memorized. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. May God once again add a blessing to the reading of his word, and let us pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we come again into your presence, thanking you. For what you're going to do today, we thank you for gathering us together, allowing us to be encouraged by your word, by the gathering of ourselves, Father, lifting our voices in praise through song and in unison as we have prayed before you. Father, we thank you for all of the many blessings you provide us with, protection, provision. And now, Father, these moments we want to give to you as we worship you and learning more about you. We would ask that the scriptures would speak boldly and openly. And Father, the Spirit would move us and guide us. Father, we'll pray that the Spirit would exclusively be our teacher once again today. We would ask for an opening of the word through him. Thank you for what you'll accomplish. We pray for those that are not able to be here as well today, that, Father, you'd put your arms around them, lift them up wherever they're at, encourage them. We ask that you'd... Let them know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you certainly love them. Thank you now for what you're going to do in these moments before us as we give them to you and ourselves. Looking for a relationship, Father, that is closer than it's ever been because of you being a supreme, omnipotent God. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week uh, we were gathered and spoke of ways that Satan literally attacks us. And not that it would necessarily be complete, but it certainly, we spoke of, as I recall, nine, and you have three, the last three there, but we're going to go ahead and have a test for the first six. Um, if you were not here, you were given the opportunity to declare you are not necessarily need, need to be having a pop quiz. But those of you that were here last week, you're on another mission. So as we talked about the enemy attacking the believer, what was the first one? that we learned how he attacks us. Undermines God's character and credibility, and literally he is casting doubt. That, that's what he did with, with Eve. I, I think of today, uh, you know, why didn't, I, I don't know, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily right, it's not necessarily given to us, but uh, today being Mother's Day. 
And I'll say this when we start and when we finish, that really the most successful, most powerful witness that a mother can give is to pour truth into their children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren. That is the most important, the most successful thing that mothers could possibly do as God created the family, a husband and a wife, pouring truth into your kids. So I'm thinking the first family was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. (laughs) And who did Satan pick on? Eve, the potential mother of all, and is, by the way. You see, if you can mess up that part of the family, not to say the husbands are not. I heard someone, I think, said, uh, we were, how is that, Paul? Uh, there was mothers and those that wanted to be mothers and then the mothers of their husbands, right? <laughs> yeah. And there is, there's a sense of stability that literally comes from that unit of which the mother is incredibly important. I'm wondering, did Satan know the significance of choosing to cast doubt in Eve's mind? I certainly think he would have made a supposition along that line. Think of that for a moment. The importance of leaving God's character and credibility to him. We looked at uh, the facts that he wants you to doubt God's love, his word, his power, his grace, and his plan for your life, among other things. But if we don't move, this is strictly review. So number two was... Making it hard to live the Christian life. And there was three aspects of that. One is persecution, which, again, I would say today, being a week later from last week, I can't even, I, a guy could get an estimate probably of how many people in this last seven days since we met last, how many people died for the cause of Christ that were persecuted to the level of literally losing their life. It's, it's a very high number. That's the most significant way of literally and Satan trying to cast, once again, doubt on someone becoming a Christian, particularly in a Muslim country. Why would you want to do that? Because you're going to be killed. But in Christ, you're never dead. You're always alive in him, no matter where you are, on this side of heaven or the other side. I mean, think of that. That's where our, again, looking to Jesus. There's the sense of peer pressure. We talked about that, that literally uh, fitting in. Satan loves to make sure that we try to fit in, conform to the world, as it says in Ephesians, I'm sorry, uh, Romans chapter 12. These are two things we won't get... We can't really bring us together today, but there's two chapter 12s of Scripture that tie in immensely close in where we're at today in the sense of the armor. One is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and one is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Those two chapter 12s, those first two verses in each one of those are so incredibly powerful in setting us up for literally putting on the armor of God and standing firm to resist Him. Uh, those two you need to really commit to memory. Romans 12, 1 and 2 and Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And then the last way to, that he tries to literally discourage us in living a hard Christian life is to make it easy to live the Christian life. There we don't grow. We become accustomed to lethargy, complacency, all the things that literally do not march us on. In fact, coming back to persecution, the, most, the fastest growing church in the world is the one that's persecuted the most. Because those that are there are standing up for the things that really, really count. So number three, teaching false doctrine teaching false doctrine false teaching and it's either true or it's false uh we looked at i I, again we can't go down that branch too far i didn't go far enough last week but literally we're either worshiping god or we're worshiping demons think of that for a moment there's no in between there's not sort of god now there are those that even presidents have said that 
uh, I think it was after 911 that was said that we're praying to the same God, Allah. I, I just cringed. No, 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 no. There's God and there's demons. The spirit, the doctrine of demons. There is no in between. Just as this is. You have truth or you have false doctrines. It's a strong statement. And he loves to deceive. He loves to fill with half-truths. Number four. That's right. Uh, You will find pastors, even you as congregants, those that are literally living a life in Christ. He wants to hinder or to stop your service, your ministry, in Christ's name. Loves to do that. He loves to break that down. Number five. Divide. Causes division. Oh, he comes at you with causing division. That's in all of those things that God instituted. Governments, families, churches. He's especially, especially focused on families today. Look at our family in the United States, particularly. Across the world, even. We've, we've lost the sense of unity because he is causing division at every level. Uh, today, I was, I was sickened by this. Uh, it was just before I actually came here. I was, I was flipping through something. And there was, are you ready for this? Now, today is Happy Mother's Day. Because of the gender-neutral push, are you ready? I won't, we're not going to linger here because it's so disgusting. But again, we have to conquer falsehood with truth. It's Birthing People Day. What? Birthing People Day. No, it's not a mother because that would give in indication that there's a gender of a mother, a mom, a woman. Birthing People Day. Is there, is there anything that would be more conclusive to tell us we have lost our image, our love, and our seeking for truth? I have nothing. Except to say God created man and he created woman. That's the truth. And truth matches reality. May truth march on. Where were we at? I lost it there. Uh, division. Uh, number six. Oh, yes. We have to be careful not to depend on our own resources. That is probably the most vulnerable position to be you be in is when you're trusting yourself. When you feel that you're strong enough in an area that you literally are depending on yourself. And I know in this room, if I was to raise your hand, was there any time in your life that you depended on yourself? Every hand would have to go up. And if you don't, you lied. That's the way it is. And it's the, it is truly the most vulnerable place for you to be in Satan's attacks is to depend on your own resources. Number seven. This should be hard because it's on the board. <laughs> but go ahead. Living hypocritically. Living hypocritically. How profound. Exactly. Yeah. For those of you that aren't in attendance today, these last three are written on the board right in front of us, but we're going to ask the question anyway. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. But hypocritically, that actually ties in very well today as we talk about the belt of truth. Uh, when we talk about that, we're going to get into this more uh, intimately, but literally when we talk about truth, we in America have lost a sense of content, which is very, very important, by the way. And the belt of truth has something to do with that. Uh, truth is discovered. It is not created. Let me say that again. Truth is discovered. It is not created. That's where America got into trouble because we think we're creating truth. The news media is creating truth. No, truth is not created. Truth is discovered. Only at the hands of God's word can you actually literally find it because you discover it. Period. 
And anything for us to live hypocritically is to say one thing and to live another. That's what the belt of truth is, is to live trustworthy, to live prepared, to live in the atmosphere of truth. We'll talk about that later, but that, this really ties into getting the first things right. If you try to live hypocritically, which Satan loves to have you do that, just fit in. Just do whatever it takes to be that person. Put on the mask that the group of people you're in. Be a thermometer and not a thermostat. Those of you who may remember that. I've done it a number of times over the years. But if I go over the wall, I, the thermostat is not here for this. Yes, actually, it is. Um, now, it, it's right in front of me. Okay. So, so if, I'm, if I'm at 64 degrees and I go to the thermostat and I go to 72 degrees, what have I done? I have literally asked that to change the temperature of the room. A thermometer has nothing to do with change at all. A thermometer can only read the change in the room. We are to be thermostats, changing the environment around us based upon the truth that is within us. That's what truth does. That's literally, I, so, well, anyway, I was going to go down to birthing people today, but I'm not going there right now. Let's keep moving. <laughs> number eight, number eight. Causes us to live in disobedience to the word. Live with the world. Being conformed to it, being pressed into that mold. And that's what, it, that's what Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 talks about. That we are asked, we, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, which is the first 11 chapters of Romans, which is so extensive in what God has given us. Because of that, it would be our duty. It would be we ought to, first of all, don't be conformed to the world and being transformed by the renewing of your mind. All of these battles that we start with, particularly truth is in your mind. Um, you know, another verse, just in case I don't get to it, familiar maybe to some of you, but 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Don't go there, but just write, jot that down. That's another very, very important position of Paul speaking to the Corinthians about where the battle begins. And then number nine. He wants us to disobey God's word. In fact, I think I just mixed those two up. But it's amazing when we become conformed to the world how easy it is for us to do, disobey God's word. In other words, what I should have done was looked at the board. I would have gotten it correct. Right? <laughs> I got all nine, but I got them misplaced. Okay, so that's literally how he attacks us. So now, what are we going to do about it? I mean, we've gotten his playbook. Is it a matter of understanding every possible, imaginable way he can come at us? And you're not good enough for that. Is it to bind him? That's a popular, that's a popular theme. That's strong enough. You are not strong enough. In fact, you tell me one place in the Bible that talks that Satan is bound. And you know where it's at? It's in Revelation chapter 20. And it says God sent an angel to take Satan and bind him. That's the word used. Bound in a bottomless pit for 1,000 years. Before that and after that, for a short time, he's loose. So if we could bind him, wouldn't Peter have bound him? Or Paul? Or we're not asked to bind him. He's too powerful. You can't even see him or his demons. We are told to, once again, this is very, very important, on every occasion through the scriptures, particularly the New Testament, it tells us to stand firm. Stand. To resist. Not to chase. Stand firm. That's enough. <laughs> That's what we have to have the arm run, because you don't know which direction he's coming from. Now, if, he was, if we were fighting flesh and blood, you could see him approaching. You can't see him approaching. In fact, he's very sneaky. 
He'll use the world in most cases to trap us by alluring us to the world's intoxications. He's, he's looking for ways to snag us. You can't even see him coming. That's why it's important for us to literally stand firm. Okay, so we are on the first item of armor, which would be the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Again, I'm not nearly as interested in you, and I shouldn't say I, but God is not nearly as interested in you concentrating on what he's doing. He wants you to concentrate on what you're doing. There's a whole lot of Satan chasers, and they'd do a lot better if they would just worry and be concerned about. Worry is a horrible word. Let me throw that one out. Be concerned about the fact of what they're doing. Concentrating on how they're preparing. There's really the key is preparation. Get the armor on so when the battle starts, that whatever the attack might be, you're ready. That really is what the belt is for. So let's talk about uh, the imagery that Paul would have used in Ephesians. He would have more than likely, the power that was in control worldwide would have been the, the Romans. Okay? And so he's thinking about a war of which the Roman soldier would have been depicted. So one of the things that typically, and it, this wasn't just the Romans, but even from years previous, for a long time, uh, they would have had an outer garment called a tunic. And what is a tunic? Describe for me a tunic. Now, wranglers I understand very well. You go get, you're kind of concerned with the waist and you're concerned with the length. If you get that right, you put them on and they fit beautifully and you put a belt on, right? But if it's really windy, it really doesn't matter whether I have a belt on my wranglers or not. They could fall down. That's the only reason you need to do it. But a tunic is a different beast. A tunic is a square piece of cloth that you have a hole cut in for your head and two holes for your arms. When it's really windy or you're moving really fast, you know what you're seeing is not necessarily the best because it's waving in the wind. Wouldn't that be great to be on the battlefield and you're, you're waving in the wind? Literally, the enemy could just pull it over your head and you're done. It's over. Right? Yeah. Oh, okay, I'm with that too. So Paul is really, really trying to set this up to start with is, you know what? First and foremost, it's very, very important that you're not entangled with the garment of which you're wearing. You have to have a belt to keep everything in place. The belt of truth. Now it says, uh, going back to these are terms that you don't necessarily find in downtown Sheridan, uh, but let's go to Ephesians. You're probably still there. Verse 14, it says, stand therefore again. That, that is so imperative that we just remain standing firm, having your loins girt about with truth. I dare anybody to go to Napa tomorrow morning and say, <laughs> I've got my loins girt about with truth today. <laughs> I dare you. <laughs> We're almost turning red thinking about saying something of that nature, right? That's just weird. That doesn't fit us. But you know what? There's a real significant message behind that. And actually, let's look at the first time. Well, maybe not even the first time. But let's go back to Exodus chapter 12. God says something to the Israelites who are in Egypt. In fact, it's during the time of the Passover. Exodus chapter 12. And I hope I wrote down the verse. Now, to verse 11. You could read the whole chapter, and it talks about this Passover. It's the first time that it's been put into place, and it was literally the tenth plague in regards to the Egyptians, the death of the firstborn. And God prepared, gave, if you will, I'm going to say this, it's not a word used here, but he gave the armor, if you will, 
for protection against this plague. Why did I say armor? Because it's just as right for us today. There's nothing that we're lacking in the sense of being protected against. The wiles or the craftiness of Satan. And in this case, they chose to kill a lamb that was unblemished and to put the blood on the doorpost. If they didn't do that, what happened? They died. Firstborn was dead. Okay. Now let's watch this because there's, okay, why did they have, the, what's, the, what's the significance about all of this taking place in the first 12 chapters of Exodus? What's really happening here? What is God doing? Excuse me? Setting them free from the Egyptian tyranny, from their bondage. Okay. And Moses, of course, he gets ahead of the plan and it's his plan, his way. And then God says, no, I don't think so. And for 40 years, he went and worked in the sheep business. And then God met him again. He's 80. What would you do at 80? You'd say, well, I'm probably not going to get back there again, right? Don't ever say never with God. Because God visits him in a burning bush. That'll get your attention. He says, Moses, I need you to go back to Egypt, and I need you to lead my people out. And it was a bit of a struggle, wasn't it? Because Moses didn't think he was worthy. Who do you think's behind that? Satan. Discouragement. Take the one that God wants and to somehow cast doubt and discouragement on him as being that one. It happens every day. There's Christian leaders that really don't become Christian leaders because Satan is discouraging them. Beating them down. Well, anyway, I'm I'm, I'm getting hung up. So he goes back and then you know what happens. He goes to Pharaoh and says, you need to let my people go. Pharaoh says, who are you? Make them work harder. That went over good with the people. Moses... Good job, buddy, buddy boy. Now we don't even have straw to make our bricks. They're making us go find our own stuff. Thank you, thank you. In fact, that's what happens, isn't it? There's more punishment. There's more suffering. Well, we get to the 10th plague, and here we are. And God presents the way to pass over, if you will. But what does he say to the people? Let's go to verse 11 now. It says this. Well, first of all, verse 10, this is of the lamb itself. You shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until morning you shall burn with fire, and thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Whoa. Loins girded. What does that mean then? You take verse 11. If you were just to take that verse, what would be the message? What is God trying to tell these people? What is it? Get Get ready. Get ready. Get ready because you're going to leave. Eat it in haste. You can just see them. They're all, it's kind of like, I think my mother used to do this when we were getting ready for the school bus. You need to get ready, right? <laughs> get your coat on and get ready. Or the bus, the bus is here and you're not ready, <laughs> right? You know what? It, actually, that same theme is for us in the sense of Jesus' second coming. Look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, Jesus' words. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Verse 35. And you could read uh, Luke chapter 12. But in verse 35, it comes out just very clearly. and says, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. That's really how we're supposed to be living. Now, we're not waiting for Jesus' second coming. Let's make sure we understand that. We as Christians being on this side of the tribulation, we are waiting for the rapture. But you know what? It's the same theme. Be ready and have your lamps burning. Isn't that good? 
That's really good. So, so again, the loins girded. I want, this is really the message behind the belt of truth to some significance is the fact, get prepared. Get ready for Satan's attacks. This is the first thing you need to do to be ready, or I'm sorry, for Satan's attacks is to get ready. Get ready. Be ready to go. Two examples of the scriptures and of the scriptures saying that. So the belt being a sense of preparedness, it did keep you from being tangled up. Let's go to, uh, uh, let's see, where do we want to go? Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. This actually fits in a number of different places today, but this is again a picture of a soldier. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verses 3 and 4. We'll actually start in verse 1. 2 Timothy, the last letter that Paul wrote, and it was the one written to his, the one he was mentoring, that young man called Timothy. He said, verse 1, chapter 2, 2 Timothy, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And I think that is, that's a great passage. That, oh, no, no, verse 4, I tell you. I, I, I've got to keep moving. Got to keep moving. That was good. Okay, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse 4 is where I really wanted to go right now. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. That's what a belt does is keeps you from being tangled up. We talked about this tunic, and if, if you were going to be running or working or in war, particularly that belt of truth that you would put on, you would bring that, the ends of that tunic in and you would pull it up through the belt. And guess what? You were free for flexibility, for mobility. It actually allowed you to be a very, very good soldier. I mean, not saying this is the only way you would go out was with the belt. Oh, of course not. But you had to start with the belt because that was the thing that got things in place to get you set up to be prepared. Again, preparedness. Now, there's another thing that we think about in this belt. It's not just a belt, but if you'd see a Roman shoulder, you would see that he would have a strap that would go over his shoulder, come from the belt, attached to the belt, over his shoulder, and back down to the other side on his back to the belt. It was this strap around there. But what's really important is the fact that that was attached to something very, very important. And that was the sword. If you didn't have the belt on, there was nowhere to put the sword on. And this strap that actually literally came over and kept, you know, in other words, it would, it would offset the weight of that sword. It was also the place of previous engagements, previous war emblems or insignias or badges on that strap is where those would have been placed. And where has the victory come for you in the past? It would be coming through truth. That is the only way for victory to be won. You will never, ever win a victory in lies. Now, I know a lot of people that have tried to move around and get out of the immediate danger by telling a lie, and guess what happens? It gets worse and worse and deeper and deeper. Victory is always... I'm sorry. Yeah, victory is always on the side of truth. There can be no victory without truth. And this belt of truth, this preparedness, this, and it's deeper than that, it's the sense of living in truthfulness. 
For instance, if you're not living in, in, in effective truthfulness, there's no hypocrisy. Oops, I erased that. But hypocrisy, literally, where would the sword of truth, I'm mean, sorry, the sword, the word of God, we're going to be talking, that's the last piece of armor to put on. What would it hang on? There's no place for it to be. Do you see the importance of the belt of truth? It's incredibly important. That's literally what, in fact, that's what hypocrisy is so deadly. Is so when somebody takes out the word of God, the truth, and states it, but their life is a sham, it's hypocrisy. How effective is that? Now, remember in, uh, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, it talks about that Satan is a roaring lion, seeing whom he may devour. That word devour is the same word used in the Old Testament in the sense of, remember, the Red Sea? It parted. The Egyptian, I'm sorry, the Israelites went through, and it went, and, and that Red Sea devoured the Egyptians. That's what Satan wants to do to your testimony. He wants to totally destroy it and, and completely encase it so it has no meaning and no value to anyone. That's literally what happens if you have the Word of God without a life that would back it up. It doesn't make the Word of God any less, but coming from someone that doesn't have any sense of truthfulness, any sense of integrity... It means very little, correct? That's why our actions many times are even louder than the word. But when the word comes out of a testimony that is built upon actions, it becomes louder. Now that word belt is aletheia in Greek. Aletheia. There's a sense of the attitude of readiness, of commitment. Commitment. That's a word that we... In fact, I'm going to write that down here. I want that to be etched in your mind today. Commitment. C-O-M-M-I-T-M-E-N-T. Commitment. Did I get that right? It's two M's and not two T's, correct? I hope. Now, don't be, just tell me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm okay. Okay, commitment. That is literally a picture of that belt of truth. Being committed to truth. Are we committed to truth? I will tell you what, if that's not the first piece of armor you put on, that I'm committed, I'm desirous of putting all of the armor on and doing it God's way, you have lost the battle already. Commitment. Commitment. The desire to do what God has asked you to do. Now, most Christians uh, never get the belt on. They're out flapping in the breeze. That 30-mile-an-hour wind comes up, and guess what happens to your tunic? (laughs) Make a great soldier, wouldn't you? (laughs) Now, you guys got a visual going on, I can tell, right? Yeah, it's great. It's great. (laughs) There's no commitment. That's what that tells us. No commitment. It didn't bother to strap on truthfulness. Truthfulness is equal to commitment. Probably the clearest level of truthfulness is commitment. Now, one thing we can speak for sure. Now, all of these... And by the way, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, let me be very clear about this. This is what Paul is writing at the end of this epistle. If you have trusted Christ, each and every one of these defenses and offensive weapons are yours. Let me say that again. Every one of these spoken of in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, every single one of those, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, is yours. The difference is, you have to be committed or desirous to use them. In other words, in your house, in your heart in this case, I've got all that stuff in the corner. I'm ready to put them on whenever I need them. 
That's why Paul is saying, you know, you have all of this. You have the victory. It's all yours. You're in Christ. You have, there's nothing that you need, but it's not going to be easy. Giving inference to the fact, put those on now. That sounds like a mother, doesn't it? <laughs> you get that. I don't, know what, I don't know what the Ephesians middle name was, but he's using it right now. It, it would have been Paul's mother saying, Paul, middle name, please. Paul Richard Kramer. When, see, in fact, your eyes even threw back a little. That meant business when mom gets the three names out there, right? When my mom said, Larry Dwight Melhoff, I knew I had better get after it. Right? That, oh, man, I got it. That was, that was the deal. And you know what? That's really what Paul is saying right now. You guys need to get that on right now. You have nothing that you don't need. You, everything you have is there. Be prepared. Get ready. In fact, the quickest way to defeat is not being ready. Not being prepared. That is an absolute way to be defeated. Now, not being ready is also why we give up so easily. Right? So here comes the attack. You're not ready. <laughs> That's why we give up so easily. We're not ready. The battle's over before we begin. Right where Satan wants us. You know, what, what did we learn about Satan in some of those nine ways? He doesn't want us to know the truth. He will try to deceive you. He will try to literally steer you away from what's really important. And you know what happens when we're doing that? We're not ready. Uh, two, two occasions coming out of Egypt. We just went to those in Luke chapter 12, the second coming. Those that would be in the tribulation. Be ready. Be ready. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24. Paul likens it to a race. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Now, uh, being from Corinth, uh, this would have meant a lot to these people. They, all, they had games, if you will. Uh, the Ismith, uh, let's see if I can say this right. Ismith, Ismian. There we go. Ismian games. And he's making reference to this of a runner. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Let's read this. <clears throat> know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. Run. If you're, you're in it to win it. You know how many people, you know, literally, if, if, you're, if, you, if you show up at a race and if you're quote-unquote prepared, oh, shoot, I forgot my tennis shoes. Well, I'll just put on this. Well, let's see, what am I going to use? Oh, I've got some. I've got some combat boots. I'll put those on. It shouldn't impede me. I'll be fine. Oh, I forgot my, my uh, what would you call it, your jersey. Does anybody have a parka? Let me throw one of those on. You see? He's saying, it's not just, if, if you're all, be in it to win it. Run for the prize. Go to the Olympics for a moment. Just think of the Olympics. Uh, you're, and even in those, you know, I don't know how many, how many runners show up to do, let's just say, the 100 meters. Um, you, there's more runners than there is for just one race, right? So you have heats. I'm going to tell you something. Everyone that comes to that race, whether there's 30 or 40 or 50, you know what? Every single one of those wants to win the prize. They're not there just to fool around. Oh, well, I just showed up here in... Paris, and I guess there's some games going on. So I thought, I thought I'd just stop by and see how good I do. Oh, no, 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 no. They're in it to win it. As Christians, we know that we're in a battle. We should know. 
be in it to win it. Desire. How much desire do you have? Why am I saying that? Because literally, your desire to put on the armor of God is all that keeps you from winning the war with Satan or being defeated. It has nothing to do with any extra things that you need. He has supplied everything that you need. Everything. So if you lack the desire to put it on, is literally the reason that you will be defeated. We talked, I think, last week, or maybe somewhere else, I don't remember where. But if you have two professional teams, two professional football teams, doing battle with one another, that's always a close battle. Those people are at a level that's very intense. And a lot of times, it's just a difference in desire between those two. Who wants it the worst? Who's prepared the most? But now, what if you took a high school team and you went up against a professional football team? Every time, right? Would desire help that high school team? We can do it. We can do it. And here's this 160-pound sophomore linebacker. He's going to get smoked every single play of the day. But here's the deal. If it was just you against Satan or against one of those demons that you can't see in the spiritual invisible, invisible thing, you'd get whipped every time. But that's the key to the armor. You don't worry about what they're doing. You're concerned about what you've put on and what you're doing. And you can, mark this, there is no reason at all for you to ever lose any battle if you do it God's way. To obey what he's asked you to do. Don't miss that. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's pretty cool. It isn't like, well, here's some suggestions. Why don't you go ahead and put this stuff on? Oh, I don't know. You look pretty puny. I don't think you can win anyway. But try it. I'm, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go with you. No, no, no. There's every single time you do it God's way, you can win. And why? Why would you say that? If someone says, how do you know that? Why do you say that? I mean, Satan is so grandiose. And he, yes, he's a created being. He's not the opposite of God. I get that. But he's got a whole slew of demons. And if he comes against me, how can I possibly win? So I put my armor on. What, how can I win? And what would you respond by? God created Satan. God created, that's right, that's correct. But Satan is so powerful, isn't he? We know he's powerful. Because God gave us the tools to defeat him. Okay, and how do we know that they're good enough? Because God's word tells us that. Where does he tell us that? And where in the Bible would we find that? In Excuse me? In Ephesians? There's someplace else that really tells us the reason that we can count on every single time, every single time because of this fact, that we, we will win. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And where does it tell us that? The Holy Spirit. You guys are doing really good. But I'm looking for a verse, a verse. So, And it's so clear because this is the one, that if, if somebody comes to you and say, how do you know that you can literally win against Satan? And you would turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Let's turn there in your Bible. That's one of the reasons that we spend so much time looking up the scriptures that I want you to see it in your phone or in your Bible, because that's where God wants you to have your word. You want to be able to go there. In fact, if you go to this, you know, it's amazing in your Bible, or even, I don't know about your phones. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a Bible guy, but when you look there, it looks familiar and it has a sense of familiarity. Ah, that's where that's at. That's what I want. Okay, First John chapter 4, and let's look at verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because, why? 
greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That verse, you need to put a big fat circle around or a little skinny circle. I don't care how you want to say it. But the point is this. That's the reason that you never, ever have to lose. Because God lives within you. The Holy Spirit literally dwells you. No reason to lose ever. Because he is greater than he that is in the world. Now, that's usually how Satan attacks you is through the lusts, the intoxications of the world, all of those things that, that, that the human flesh, the flesh side of us, the humanness that is so attractive that that's how Satan loves to reel us in. He'll throw a, puts, a, puts, a, puts some kind of a lure on there. It could be in multiples of things. And you know what? He just, and he's so good at, hey, how many of you are really good fishermen? We've got several. So, and the best ones probably won't even raise their hand, but that's okay. Because that means they're really, and they're good. They're really tricky. What are they trying to do? They're literally trying to put something on that hook to get that fish to get excited enough to latch onto it. And you're a really poor fisherman if you can't get the fish to do that. That's where I'm at. I don't know how to do that. But when you get the fish interested enough to bite onto that, you have it. How did Satan do that? Through the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. All of those things he loves to utilize to ensnare and to trap you. The key? Commitment to Christ. Commitment to Christ. When we're committed to him, it's literally showing our love, an act of worship. It's literally a living sacrifice. Now, I did tell you to read. Let's go to Romans chapter 12 because this gives us a clear insight as to how this ties together. Romans chapter 12. This is one of the 12 chapters that I told you about. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, I beg of you because of the first 11 chapters of Romans. Brethren, by the mercies of God, all of the mercies of God, not giving us what we deserve, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know how you do that? How do you do a living sacrifice? How many of you are really gifted in living sacrifices? And you're thinking, when I say sacrifice, what are you thinking? Right where your mind takes you is back to the Old Testament. You think about a sacrifice. You think of Isaac potentially laying on that, on that altar. And his dad, who forgot to bring... No, he didn't forget. He was told to go to Mount Moriah and what? To sacrifice Isaac, his son. But Isaac didn't know that. I think that was wise on, Moses, on Abraham's part. Uh, son, we're, gonna, we're about a three-day journey from Moriah, and God said, that I'm supposed to sacrifice you on the altar, so let's go. <laughs> really, Dad? I think I'll be seeing you now. I hear there's a really good job down there, at, right? Abram told him only what he needed to tell him, and he said, we're going to go worship God. You know, sometimes when we set out to worship God, maybe we don't know the depth of that. There's some things he may have to strip away from us. One of the things, what he really wants from us is commitment. Commitment. You know what? Abram was committed to doing it God's way. Now, he wasn't always that way. Remember, he was kind of a guy of half-truths. Halfway through his life, or whatever, he'd take this trip down to Egypt without conferring with God. There's a drought. There's a famine. And he says, and he says to his wife, we need to go down to Egypt. Oh, why do we need to do that? Well, because we don't have any food here. Oh, well, fair enough. So you get down there, he's thinking on the way down, he says, you know, this is going to be a problem. My wife is very lovely. She's beautiful, quite honestly. We're going somewhere where they don't know that we're married. And if they know we're married, they would be of the occasion, let's just get rid of him, and then she is free. 
So we've got this perfect plan. It's called a half-truth. What do we know about truth? It's either truth or it's not. A half-truth is a whole lie. And he says, uh, honey, by the way, you, my sweetest love of all time, would you please share with everyone that you are my sister? It'll be better for me if we play it that way. And apparently she did. But it came out. Isn't it amazing how truth eventually comes out? Truth will come out in America as well. We're going to find out that birthing people is not really, that is really not the deal. It's mothers because God created women to bear children. That's the truth. That, That bears reality. Just as, guess what? Abram was lying to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, get out of my sight. But this is a different Abram that goes up to Mount Moriah. He's one that's learned to trust God. He's the one that learned that Ishmael was another stupid idea. And now he has his son. And his God said, I want you to sacrifice him to me. Really? Okay. Well, let's go. He doesn't know what the future is. And that's what's really cool about faith and trust, isn't it? He's going to go worship God. Doesn't know how this works out. But he did trust God enough to be on what he said in his word. What would Abram have been tempted to do? This is very key. To doubt God's previous statements. That's why you must fill your mind with the truth of God. When Satan comes with doubts, you know what he did with Jesus Christ three times? He tried to take the word of God. He knew that he's going to have to use the word of God and twist it enough so that somehow he would get Jesus to bite on it. You know how Jesus responded? With the real word. That's what's up to us. Know the word. Pour it in. Soak in it. Let it take you up. And you know what? Abram was very right in trusting God. Even as he revealed this to, to, uh, to his son as they're walking up the hill. Okay, Dad, I've got a, done a little inventory. We've got the fire. we got the wood. I'm, I know. I, I got the wood. It's getting heavy, Dad. So where's the sacrifice? Oh, perfect answer. Isn't this good? Have you ever been out of money and there's a lot of month left or a lot of year left? And you have this discussion. I mean, where's, where's the money going to come from? God will provide. And it's amazing how sometimes it seems like it's not going to happen. You've been there. You've been there. But what's your trust in? Is it in your own resources? Remember, that's what Satan would want you to do, to go do something stupid. Maybe Abraham's been looking for a sheep on the way up the hill. We don't know there wasn't one. He was content to go up to the top of the hill. As he would have, I I don't know what this would have been like for a father. As he would have made the altar, laid his son on. At this point, his son has got to be getting nervous. But you know what? There's something here that we never really talk about too much. Do you know who Isaac was trusting that day? His dad. I can trust my dad because he loves me. You can trust God because he loves you. You can trust God because he's got a plan for you. And as the whole word of God reveals it for us, it can't be changed. That's what I love about God's plan. Satan can try everything imaginable. He cannot change God or his plan. That's fantastic. And you know what? On that day, as Abraham, Abram was finishing this up, the next step was what? To slay the sacrifice. And as he raised his hand, 
That was when God said, stop, stop. Now I know where your heart, no, it was Abraham knew where his sevenths. It wasn't that God needed to be revealed. For Abraham to see that he trusted to that level was worth everything. And out of the corner of his eye, imagine this. There is a ram stuck in the brush. And I think it was Isaac that said, Dad, Dad, there is a, there's a sacrifice. <laughs> I don't know that. But it seemed obvious because that's what God wanted then. And they went and hadn't sacrificed. That's worship, isn't it? But what was it based on? This is really key. Would have ever worship taken place if Abram hadn't been committed to worship? Worship doesn't take place unless you're committed to worship. Being committed to putting the armor on is the key to victory. No commitment, no victory. No victory. In Romans chapter 12, it says, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When truth is in your mind, it renews you. That you can live with commitment. Let's turn over to Philippians chapter 1. Um, this is another thing that sometimes we com- become complacent. Maybe we've checked the boxes and then we fail to go back and we get, become satisfied with where we're at. Now, Philippians chapter 1, let's look at verses 9 and 10. Paul is, in the first chapter, unfolding this to the church at Philippi. He says, And this I pray, Paul is praying about this, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment discernment it would be, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of the Christ. Now, did he say that they didn't have any love or any, any uh, discernment or any... What was the other one? I missed it. Knowledge. Knowledge. Uh, is that what he's saying? No. What is he saying? Keep pushing. You need more, and you need more. and you Don't ever stop short of excellence. Now, how many of us live the Christian life that way? Do we compare ourselves to those around? Oh, well, I'm doing better than... You know, oftentimes we become complacent and we don't ever press on. Now, Paul is praying in regards to the Philippians to keep desiring to have more and more and more. Don't be satisfied with anything less than excellence. Now, look, if they continue to love more and more and they, dis- they, they have more and more knowledge and they have more and more discernment, it literally tells us what the results of that will be in verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Literally, God is the one that gets all of the glory because as we continue to press forward, it starts with commitment, and what we focus on is incredibly important. What are you focusing on today? Do we even know we're in a war? Yes. And it's raging. It's raging, isn't it? It's becoming really obvious. Now, how do we arrive? And and again, this is important. Oftentimes, we want to look at the opponents. See, it's so easy for me. I'm not going to tell you who that person was that said, happy, well, I didn't even say it that way. It It was more convoluted, but a birthing people day. Now, you see, there was somebody that said that, and that's that's honestly what we focus on, isn't it? No, don't do that. It's deeper than that. Satan is behind that. He's trying to break down the family. How do you ward it off? You speak truth. 
Well, I'm sorry. No, I'm actually happy that God created the family. I'm very happy that he created a woman to be a partner and a helpmate for the man. And together they became one and they was a family and offspring. And guess who bore the child? The woman. Thank you, Jesus. Truth. Commitment to truth. Preparedness. All things that talk about the belt of truth. Let's not be content with mediocrity. Let's not be content with lethargy. Those are things that are very commonplace to us today. We need to run the race of life through God's grace. Lifting our eyes and focusing on Jesus. Learning about Jesus. Leaning on Jesus. Loving Jesus. And I forgot my last one. Looking to Jesus. Say those again. Learning about Jesus, leaning on Jesus, loving Jesus, and looking to Jesus. When your focus is on Jesus Christ, the commitment just comes naturally. Now, I'd like to take you another passage of Scripture that allows us to see when, for instance, moms or any one of us actually take and absorb or pour truth into our lives. When you take in truth, there are attitudes that help us to mature. In fact, there are attitudes that literally, if they're in your life, I can tell you this. You are maturing. You're becoming complete in Jesus Christ. Now, we'll find that passage in another one that actually is very similar in the sense of Satan is trying to have you not become mature. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. And on your way there, stop at James. Okay? That was kind of... If you found Hebrews, you're pretty close. Just take to the right just a little bit. Go to Hebrew, um, James chapter 4. I want you to, this, it all lines up. It's amazing how God's Word just, it just fits like a puzzle together. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 7. They're all there? James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay? You guys have heard that verse many times. What did it say? Submit yourselves to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. That sounds pretty similar to Ephesians chapter 6. Standing firm. That's a sense of resistance. Okay. With that in mind, now let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and that's pretty close. Don't go too far to the right. 1 Peter chapter 5. And I'd like to read this passage, and we'll go from verses 5 through 11. And we'll come back and we'll talk about it. This is really what happens when truth is poured into your life. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning now at verse 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yes, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God res- Ooh, did you see that again? God resisteth the proud. What were we told to do with the Satan? The devil? Resist the devil. And this is what God does. He resists the proud. We've talked about that the last three weeks. And there you see the verses that we're using. And giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. It's a verse we all know. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 
whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter is closing out this first epistle that he wrote, and it has a lot to do with suffering. There's a lot of things gone on here because of what Jesus Christ accomplished, and literally he's telling us to expect the same. But when you receive truth, when you are committed to truth, when you're committed to taking in God's word, it creates certain attitudes. So let's, let's just jot a few of these down. The first one you find in verse 5. Let's see, how am I going to leave that word up there? We'll just right below it. The first one you find in verse 5 is what? Do you remember? I'll even, I'll even tease it out of you. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 7, we're told to submit. Yeah, submission. That's an attitude you'll find when truth is integrated in your life. Submission. 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 What does submission do? What is sub- just, take the, just take the principle of submission. What does it literally do? What does it attack? It attacks pride. That's exactly. It attacks rebellion, and that's one of the things. What did it just say a little bit later? It says, God resists the proud. He hates pride more than anything else. He really does, and that was the one thing that Satan just could not get enough of. He not only wanted to be as, he wanted to be higher than God. He was going to be like the most high. Submission. That's the first thing that you'll find in the sense of truth, an attitude that comes out of receiving truth. If you have the belt of truth, when you have the belt of truth on, you know what? You're going to see submission in your life. Submission to God's word. Verse 6. It says this. Actually, let's continue. Verse 5 again. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves on the other. Yes, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. He may exalt you in due time. What's the second attitude that comes now? See, you can't make this stuff up. You show me a non-Christian that truly is humble, and I will show you that can't be. Because what does humility say? It doesn't think less of yourself. It doesn't think of yourself at all. Now, if you don't have Jesus Christ, you can't stop thinking about yourself. That's just the way we're built. We're so me- that what? <laughs> I'm sorry. How did Eve get sucked into it? He knows, God knows when you, you're going to be like him. Oh, whoa, that sounds great. Adam, did you hear that? Pass the Fuji. Wow. Humility is definitely a result of truth in one's life. Because one of the things you first of all have to see, this is what's really troubling in America, is America doesn't need a savior. Because we don't know we're a sinner. And until you know you're a sinner, you really don't need a Savior. And what happens when you, have, when you know you're a sinner? And when you see that there is a Savior, you know what happens? Humility takes place because you see how small you are in regards to sin. And sin is diabolical, evil, and overpowering. And Jesus Christ died for you before you loved him. That should bring humbleness to us. That's an attitude that is a sense of maturity because truth has enveloped you. Let's look at number seven. I'm sorry, number three, we find in verse seven, it says, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. What would we call that? What, what are you doing when you're casting all your care on him? What are you doing? 
trusting. That's exactly right. You're trusting. That's another thing that shows maturity is when you're taking in truth is you're trusting. Show me someone that doesn't, in, that doesn't take in the word of God that is not interested in truth. I will show you someone that is doubtful. Look at America today. Uh, they, they, don't know, they don't know what to think. They don't know what to believe. They, they, there's no truth anywhere. And without truth, we're lost. When you take truth in, guess who you trust? The truth giver. God is your God. You learn to trust in him. Trusting. That's an attitude that comes as a result of feeding on truth. Let's go to verse 8. Be sober. What do you mean be sober? What does that mean? Sober mind, a sober spirit. What is that speaking of? Taking it serious. That would be self-control. Self-control. What do we mean by that exactly? Self-control. Again, where does Satan come into? We're not going to go back into those nine things, but where does he really, how does he really hit us hard? How does he do it? He comes through the world, doesn't he? All of those allurements, all of those things that our flesh is so easily, remember Paul in chapter 7 of Romans? He's so honest with us. Oh, I, I do what I don't want to do and I can't do what I want to do. Isn't that kind of sometimes how our life is? Self-control, it's going to be the power that dwells within you, the Holy Spirit that literally allows you to say, no, I'm not going to do that because of the strength that is within me from the power of God. I'm going to obey truth. Because ultimately, it's not just knowing truth. If you're here today and your, your whole thrust is to know truth, that's not enough. That's not enough. You're learning truth today. You're learning truth all the time. But you know what? If you don't walk in the truth, if you don't live in the truth, that means you're not committed to the truth. And if you're not committed to the truth, what do we know? You're going to get whooped. You're going to get beat. Your tunic is flapping in the wind. (laughs) When your tunic flapping in the wind, you done got beat. Okay? Self-control. Being sober. Number five. This is the one that actually really resonates where we are right now. What's that word? Let's go to verse... Eight, be sober, be vigilant, a vigilant defense. Why? Because your adversary, the devil. Think of that. If there's ever a time and some reason to be alert, it would be because when you know, as God has pointed out all through scripture, your enemy, your adversary is the devil. And what do we know? What does that word devil mean? What does that word actually literally mean? Devil. He uses it here for a reason. Slanderer. He's a liar. So one thing you can know is if it comes from the world, which that's where he works through, it's a lie. And if it's not of God, it is a lie. That's hard to war against lies when if you don't know the truth. That's why truth is so important. Being alert, being resistant, that is firm in the faith, obedience to the truth, trusting God, living in oneness with the truth, Everything becomes captive to the truth. Let me say that again. Everything becomes captive to the truth and obedience to the truth. As you know the truth and obey it, that is how Satan is resisted. Say, let me say that again. As you obey the truth, that is how Satan is resisted. You want to know where he's the most uncomfortable? You want to know when Satan is the most uncomfortable? is when he comes in contact with a Christian that obeys the truth. 
He can't get anywhere. We talked about that God's blessing comes in the circle of obedience. God's protection comes within the circle of obedience. Because if you're going to choose not to put on the armor that you got back in the black closet upstairs in the attic of your heart, and you're going to, need, you're going to put it on if you need it, you're too late. You're not committed to truth. You're not committed to following Jesus Christ. You're not committed to being able to win the war. But when you obey the Lord, Satan has been beaten. And that's why, what does it say? What did James say, chapter 4, verse 7? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do we resist the devil? By doing the truth. By obeying God's truth. That's the, that's the most positive, the most immeasurably strong way to resist the devil. He has to flee. When your desire is to know the truth, to believe the truth, to stand on the truth, and to obey the truth, then literally you become like those... I didn't, I didn't see this till actually, I don't know why, but let's go to those two little letters. If you're in 1 Peter, just turn to the right, and you will come across 1 John. We were there earlier today, but I want you to go to 2 John and 3 John, both of them having just one chapter. One of them has 13 verses, and one of them has 14 verses. Now, interestingly enough, verse 4 of each one of those letters written to different recipients, I think John has a message. 2 John, verse 4. 2 John, verse 4. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in the truth as we received the commandment from the Father. He's, they were walking in the truth. He's so excited about that. Turn over one page probably. 3 John, verse 4. Isn't it amazing we have the, the chapter 12s and now we have the two Johns of verse 4. Verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So let's, walk, let's, let's take this as the journey of truth. Let's see, we're not done. I, I got too much stuff up here, don't I? What did I say five was? Vigilant. Vigilant defense. Vigilant defense. Okay. Let's talk. I'm going to just write this on the board real quick. Uh, commitment's going to have to be by itself. So in your truth march, what's the first thing you must, what, what about truth? What's the first thing? This is something that's really lacking in America today. There's no desire of truth. The youngest, the youngest generation, which uh, what are, they're not millennial. What's the? What is it? The Y's? The Z's? Does anybody know? It's oh, I feel bad. Um, anyway, it's 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 the current generation. They're coming up. They're going to start making decisions. Okay, they're mostly teenagers. You know what they say about truth? The Z, the Z generation. There we go. Fair enough. The Z generation. You know what they say about truth? You can't know it. You can't know it. You can't know truth. That's what postmodernism has literally sold to our youngest generation. See, I, we believe as Christians that truth is discovered and not created. Okay? The, the humanists believe that you create truth that you find within yourself. That's kind of the, the new age movement, if you will. And then lastly is the postmodernism of which our whole nation has fallen prey to. And it believes there is no truth. That's where we're at. We have the youngest generation, the Z generation, that today does not believe that you can even know truth. So if you were to ask them, does truth matter, what would they say? Well, of course not. It's what you make it, they think. That's exactly right. So my question then would be, what do you really believe then? Because everybody believes something, and they believe the thing that's said the most, 
And it doesn't really have to be backed up because they would have to believe that truth is created. You know, the number one, I've told you this a number of times, whether you remember it or not, I think it's really, really enlightening as to where we are without truth. The number one most important thing to the young people, the Z generation, this is worldwide. This wasn't just done in the United States. This is worldwide. They feel the biggest problem facing the world that they're growing up in is climate change. The Bible says the number one problem is sin. (laughs) That's something that they need to be concerned about is personal sin. Right? Does it sound like deception taking place? What what, what was was the problem? The lack of truth. And now we've gotten to a new level because once upon a time, this nation knew truth. It loved truth. It obeyed truth. But today now we've lost our desire to know truth. You must have a desire to know truth. That's what Pilate said. What is truth? Yeah. And we don't know exactly how he said it. What, What is truth, right? And which is the way I think he would have said it. It was like, and if he didn't, it was like, who cares? Right? That's where we're at as a world. That's bad. Now, once you have a desire, now this is important now. See, what I'm trying to do, this is the first place you got to get to. Remember the guy we've been praying about, Steve, the fuel guy? I haven't had a conversation for quite a while. But my first thing that I think, it's not me, it's God. I want to instill a sense of that he would even want to desire to know the truth. Because if you don't have a desire, a commitment to know truth, you're not going to go any further, which is exactly where Satan wants you. So after the desire, what happens next? You learn truth. You need to learn truth. Or we could say know it. I'm going to go with learn, okay? Uh, I'm I'm going to change what I did. I'm going to go with know. Know the truth. Because, see, that that could be misconstrued. You see where I was going with that? Because truth is discovered... Not created. So in the mind of a new age, to learn it would mean that they would create it. Right? So let's do what we need to know, and that is knowledge. Now, in a human, it does not matter what you think of truth. It doesn't matter if you don't think it's truth. Truth is truth regardless of what you believe or what you say about it. That's true truth. So now there's a desire. There's a sense of knowing it. Now, what about just knowing it? Is that far enough? Today, for instance, how many people in America know the truth? There's probably a lot more know the truth than believe the truth. That's our next thing is you must go from a desire, you must know it, and then do you believe the truth? Because that will change your life. That's why Paul always started with principles, getting your mind right, getting your thoughts right, allow you to believe it. Now, once you've believed it... What are you going to do next? You're going to stand on it. You're going to stand on it. Uh, remember remember that, that old hymn? I don't even think it's in our book, Standing on the Promises. One of my favorites as a kid growing up. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. I shouldn't do that, should I? I shouldn't. Standing. Standing on the truth. Because you know what you're doing now when you're standing on it? You're, you're, what you're doing is it's beginning to take root in the sense of trusting it. When you stand on it, you believe it, 
Guess what happens after you stand on it? This is where we want to get to. Then you're ready to obey it. Because if you're standing on it, you're obeying it. Those are literally the steps of which truth needs to just immerse your life. And when you're doing that, guess what? We read it in 2 John verse 4 and in 3 John verse 4. You walk or you live in truth. And when you're living in truth, that means that you're obeying the truth. Guess who's not going to be hanging around? Satan. Satan. Now, that doesn't mean he leaves forever. Oh, no, he's, he's pretty quick. He's pretty cool. He's going to say, just give him another, let's see, six hours. It's amazing how quickly our minds can turn, isn't it, when we're not focused on Jesus Christ? Remember what we talked about earlier? It was, oh, I'm not even going to remember this now. Um, learning about Jesus, leaning on Jesus, loving Jesus, looking to Jesus. And when we stop looking at Jesus, guess what? We're a whole lot more likely to not obey the truth. But when we're looking in the eyes of Jesus, when we're looking in the Word of God, when we're immersed in truth, it's so much easier for us than literally to resist the devil because obeying the truth is nothing more than resisting him. He will not stay in your company. He's going to check back in. Huh, I wonder how Larry's doing today. Let's see. Looks like he's got some problems going on. I could add a little bit to that. I could try to make his life difficult. Then let's see what he does. Let's see if he obeys the truth. Then let's see what he does. And you know what? When Larry trusts in God, when he's leaning on Jesus Christ, when he's looking at Jesus, guess what he's more likely to do? Is obey him. If, G- if, if Satan can get my eyes off of Jesus, get the eyes on the problem. Oh, it's so gigantic. It's so. Im- I, I don't. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to depend on? The, right? He's got me. And it's amazing. That's the part that's really sometimes very hard. It's a lot harder to live moment by moment for Jesus than it is to die once for him. That's very true. Now, sometimes I think I said this a couple weeks ago, but the sense of somebody walking through that door and saying, you know what? All of you that trust Jesus Christ, all of you that are trusting in Jesus Christ, you have one opportunity to refute him and to walk out this door and say that you do not love him. The rest of you will be killed. Sometimes you think about that as being a very difficult thing. But, you know, literally, if you truly trust Christ, that's actually a very quick moment. It's over. Where are you? You're in eternity with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't really relish the thought of going through that. But the point of the matter is it's done and it's done. But how about living for Jesus every single moment of every single day for the rest of your life? That requires, ready, the C word, commitments. And it doesn't necessarily come from you. The really cool thing is the commitment that he's asking you. Do you know where it comes from? The spirit that dwells within us. Because we've been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. That is powerful stuff. It's really, really powerful stuff. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, let's go back. Because we've got a couple more. To, where were we at? We were on number five. Let's go to number six. Where are we at? I've got to get back to where we're supposed to be, which is... Where were we at? Oh, Peter, second, First Peter, chapter five. Wow, losing my losing my mind here, right? Okay, um, let's keep going. So, what do you have so far? These are on the board. Submit to the truth. Our truth gives us an attitude of submission, humility, trusting, self control, vigilant defense. And number six, this is kind of cool. How many times do you have a big fat problem and you think no one else has ever went through it and you're all in it this by yourself? It happens, doesn't it? And what do you feel like? <sighs> Throwing in the towel. Nobody understands. One of the things that yeah, that's in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says that 
because Jesus Christ lived on this earth and he knows all of the things that we know about, all of the sufferings, all of the temptations, all of that, you can boldly, boldly approach the throne of grace because he knows what it's like. But look at this. Uh, Peter writes about this in chapter 5. He says this. Let's start in verse 8 again. Be sober. That is to be issue self-control. Be vigilant in the sense of defense because your adversary, the devil, the slanderer is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, literally envelop everything that your testimony would be out there to be. Now, verse 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith. That's how you resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing, watch this, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren and in the world. You know what? There's something really cool. You are not alone. There's a whole lot of Christians that go through the same thing. You're not alone. There's something about company that makes it work. And there's one more, which I'll have to put over here. Number seven. How's your notes? You got enough paper? Verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. There may be some of you here today that hear my voice that literally Satan has attacked you. He has taken a level of attack and an appropriate approach that it has just overwhelmed you. That verse right there tells us that literally the very fact that God is in charge, that you can have hope. You can have hope. Let's tear that verse down for a second. It says the God of all grace who hath called us... Unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ. Think of Christ Jesus. He, he's called us into eternity by Jesus Christ's sacrifice. And he says, as a result, after you have suffered a little while. After you have suffered a little while. When you've been attacked by the enemy, you know what you're being? You're being perfected by God. There are four words there that I want to talk about. Four words. You see them there last of, and in your version, you may have them different. But it starts in the King James and says, make you perfect. Perfect. That's the sense of complete you thoroughly. As this suffering, as these moments of attack, this spiritual warfare come on you, God is using that to complete you, giving you wholeness, making you more like Jesus Christ. And you know what the lichen in verse in chapter six of Ephesians is putting on Jesus Christ. That's what all of this is talking about, is you're putting on truth and you're putting on the, the breastplate of righteousness. All of those things literally are putting on Jesus Christ. God is literally perfecting or making you thorough or whole. That's the first word there is perfect. The word establish or confirm is to allow you to stand firm. That fits perfectly of what God has asked us to do. And then the word strengthen is just as it says to make you strong. And settle you or establish you is to give you foundation. Now think of that. When Satan is using coming against you with warfare, and we know it's coming, don't you dare forget it for every single second. It is coming at you. But as Satan is doing it to destroy you and to devour you, as it says in this text, God is using those moments to establish you, give you a firm foundation, to allow you to stand firm, to complete you spiritually to a sense of wholeness. And to lift you up, to strengthen you. That should give us a great deal of hope. 
No matter how tough it gets, God is doing his work. You can trust him because his love for you, you cannot be separated from the love of Christ. What if somebody said to you, how do you know you can't be separated from the love of Christ? Who says you can't be separated from the love of God? You would go to Romans chapter 8. Let's go there. In fact, this is very, very important. This is the one thing that keeps saying, see, there's those defenses, those fortresses that go up in wrong uh, thinking and and lies. Those fortresses are built on false doctrines. They're built on deception. They're built on things that literally are not true. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And let's read the last part of chapter 8. Verse 35 is where we'll start. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's a great question. Wouldn't you want to know? Particularly if you have spiritual warfare in your life. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril? Or... That kind of covers it. How many of you have been involved in that this last week? That's heavy stuff. But as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. That's a little tough. But in verse 37, says, no, nay, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. Absolutely. And actually, I'm wrong. I had one left. Oh, you know what I did? I did something I shouldn't have done. You're not alone was more of a sense along the, de- the, vig- the vigilant defense. That is not number six. That's just part of it. Okay? So number six is hope, and number seven is what we'll close with. And what's the number seven? What? Number seven is the sense of completion. It's fulfilling. And... Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, and let's look at verse 11. When all of that takes place, when God is literally perfecting you, establishing you, strengthening you, giving you a foundation, and it says in verse 11, 1 Peter chapter 5, To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know what, how, you know what all of truth does when it comes into our heart, and all of these, literally these attitudes of submission, humility, trusting, self-control, vigilant defense, hope, you know what it really does? It puts us in the mode of worship. Worship, right where he wants us to be. That's what truth does. Truth literally puts us in a position of worshiping him. That's a lot of stuff, isn't it? That's a lot of stuff. But what it does is it takes you on this level, and this is where David... Let's go to Psalm 139. When you start to see this in your life, where you're interested in knowing... What's keeping you from being more of what God wants you to be? Then those things are really becoming significant. And truth is pouring into your life. Truth is pouring into your life. Psalm chapter 139. Let's close with these two verses. Psalm 139 verse 23 and 24. David is crying out, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Here's David, who he doesn't even trust himself enough to see wickedness. He says, God, I really want you to check me out. That's when truth has really overtaken you. That's when truth has totally immersed you. That's when truth is allowing all of those attitudes that are maturing you to bring you to the point that you're concerned that God would help you find 
anything that's keeping you from being everything that he wants you to be. The belt of truth would be the sense of preparedness. Gird up your loins. I still, I still challenge you to go to the grocery store tomorrow or to Napa or anywhere you frequent. I'm just girding up my loins in truth. <laughs> That'll probably tell you to get your loins out of the place, probably, right? But what is, if you see that, though, I'm hoping that it means something to you. Gird up your loins is what? To get ready. To get ready. Nothing is more important for us in spiritual warfare than to be ready. Because when you're ready, that armor is in place. That armor is committed, or you're committed to putting on everything that God has given you. What's the only way for you to be defeated? There's only one way to be defeated. No desire, no commitment to put on his armor. Now, that will say, if you, if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and you're here today, this is an opportunity for you to literally get it right. Because if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, then literally none of this matters to you. None of this is yours. There is no armor in the corner at worst. There is no armor anywhere for you because you, have, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You have lost everything. You don't even know how lost you are because you can't even see through because Satan has deceived your mind. He's blinded your eyes, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But the really cool thing is, is his grace. Trust in the Lord and you will be saved. That's pretty good to know that that is available because he died for everyone. He is the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world, as John said, as he was approached by that Jesus Christ. If you trust Christ as your Savior, there's really no reason for you ever to be defeated again. Because he died for you to take away the penalty of sin, and he rose again to break the power of sin that has ensnared you. Don't be entangled in all of the affairs of life. Put on the belt of truth. Be prepared. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the moments that we've had together. Thank you for your word. It's amazing how it just fits together. The puzzle comes together in pieces. Your truth is concise, pure, and true. To know that we can trust the word of God makes it even more powerful. Those today that say that they can't trust in the word of God, I would ask them to do their own serious study of proving that the Bible is not true. If they're honest, if they're hardworking, they will find, just as C.S. Lewis, it remarkably is not only true, it's really true. The Bible is able to stand up to the scrutiny of any man because God's ways are higher than our ways. Truth is not something that's created within man. Truth is discovered by man because God sent his word to reveal truth to us. Truth matches reality. There is death. There is sin. Father, you said it would so. There's none righteous. No, not one. All must come to Jesus Christ. Thank you for providing the Savior. Thank you for the love that was exhibited on high. Father, I pray for our nation. I pray, Father, that there would begin to be a desire to know truth. Father, I would ask that churches across this land would have a yearning and a desire to spread truth, to cast truth on every possible airwave. Truth will prevail. Jesus Christ said the truth will set you free. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father by me. Father, there is a famine of truth in America. May it start that the grassroots 
and go to the highest halls of Congress. Father, you are God and you are God alone. You are omniscient, omnipotent, and sovereign. Thank you for being that God that is unchangeable. A God of love. A God of purity. A God of righteousness. Thank you for providing everything we need to be victors in Jesus Christ. Help us to stand firm, Father, this week. To stand firm in the might of yourself. We cry out to you, Father. There's an onslaught of spiritual warfare. It's intense. It's serious. May we be ready. May we be prepared. That was what the belt of truth would be signifying. Gird up your loins. Father, with each one that's here today, we would ask that this week would be a time of refreshment because they're serving you, because they're prepared to be committed to truth. We'd ask each step that they take, Father, would be in your will. You would surround them with encouragement, love, and strength. Father, if there's someone in the range of my voice today that does not know Jesus personally, that this would be an opportunity, literally, to do business with you. You're open 24-7, as long as there's a breath of life left in that individual. But, Father, today is the day of salvation. The Scripture says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's, no, there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Those are truths that you've given to us. But thank you, Father, that Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus Christ bore the weight of all of the sin of the world. He was dead. He was buried. But he rose the third day, proving the fact that he had won the victory over sin. And God sees in his blood, when it's accepted by faith, by that person, the quietness of their heart to say, I would trust the Lord Jesus Christ. I repent of my sins, leaning and trusting wholly and completely upon my newfound Savior. The only one that's worthy to be able to have done the work that was necessary that God required. That's who I'm going to cling to today. And if you've said that prayer in your heart, if you have literally done business with God, then literally that armor of God we've been speaking about is yours. The Holy Spirit has just now indwelt you. As you read God's word, as you take in truth, he will use it to change you from the inside out. Your desire for truth will increase. You will learn more truth. You will know more truth. You will stand on truth and ultimately you will live in truth. Father, what a great God to be able to give us that much power when we trust in Jesus. All of our blessings, all of our eternal glory is waited upon Jesus Christ, the one that bore it all. Father, go with us. We want to do your will. We want to know it. And we would ask as we obey the truth, we know that, the, that Scripture tells us that the Satan will be resisted and he will flee from us. Once again, Father, we pray for provision and protection. May truth be reigning on high. These things we ask in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.